probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. Awesome. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back with a fellow H, you know, Heidi, Harper, <laughs> Harper, Heidi. <laughs> There's not that many of us out there. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I come across lots of Harrises, but very few, uh, very few with, with another H first name. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, today we are talking about uh, minute 52 of the thing, which begins with uh, Mac walking back towards the base and ends a minute later with, uh, with him looking at the trashed helicopter interior. So this is a minute that has almost no dialogue. It's uh, it's kind of purely a, a sound design minute, I think, which is is kind of interesting. But uh, there's uh, some stuff going on here where begin where he's about to uh, you know kind of ends that pensive moment that we talked about yesterday, and then uh, starts to head back in. But then here's here's some strange sounds and looks back to see that somebody uh, who he thinks is Blair um, is doing something in the helicopter and runs away back into the base with an axe in his hand, which is Never a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so just uh, with that, that kind of first first half of the minute, uh, you mentioned just as we were getting started and we were watching the clip that, uh, you know, hearing the crunching of the snow uh, as you're watching it. And I think this this minute is a really well done one of just kind of very simple, basic kind of sound design stuff, but stuff that really builds the mood and, and really sells the uh, the landscape that they're in. So there's a lot of that, like, crunchy snow and the sound of their, um, you know, the jackets, uh, the sound of the jackets making things and, um, you know, him picking up and setting down the flamethrower, the tarp blowing in the wind. There's just a lot of just kind of nice, you know, basic sound effects going on here as, as a sound person. That was, that was the first thing I kind of noticed and appreciated about this one. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did also, as I think if, if, unless I remember incorrectly that it's mostly, the foley and then just a little bit of music kind of kind of starts to creep back in towards maybe the second part of it like it's not real musical but there's a lot of sound and then i i had been i had been watching these minutes um just with my regular kind of cruddy computer speaker and then realized, wait a minute, I'm a podcaster. I have (laughs) beautiful headphones here plugged into the laptop already. Why am I not listening to this on the headphones? And that just absolutely transformed the experience of listening to this from, you know, what's going on in the left channel and the right channel and um, just all the little intricacies. So I, you know, if people aren't already doing this or trying it out, if you do have headphones, I definitely highly recommend watching this movie with those headphones on and just being enveloped in this sound. Yeah. The, um, we, we brought sound up a lot, you know, uh, go figure the sound guy would, would bring up sound a lot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, th- this movie is, has fantastic sound design and, and mixing and everything. And, uh, David Udall, the sound supervisor for the movie did, did a fantastic job. And, 
I, I'm, I'm glad that you actually mentioned the, um, you know, just listening to the differences between the left and right channels. This this scene has a lot of kind of hard panning and stuff. So, you know, as he's walking back, you're hearing all the stuff that Blair's doing in the helicopter is all on the left side. And uh, it made me think of, um, I can't remember if I ended up mentioning it or not earlier in the movie, but um, this movie has such kind of that hard panning where stuff is all the way to one side or the other, uh, especially in the surround mix that, um, I had read somewhere that when this first came out on like, it might've even been on Laserdisc, I'm not sure, um, mm-hmm. that it, it was one of the movies that they would use to test out, um, surround systems because it was so, the painting was so, um, so specific that they could use it to test like, okay, well, the helicopter is supposed to be coming all the way from the back left and that's where it's coming from. So we know we set that up right. <laughs> so oh, the, cool. Yeah. So they would use it as kind of a testing, which is kind of interesting. I would have never thought that about this movie in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that I noticed was just how blue this yes. minute is. Yeah. How very blue it is. And it reminded me of, that website. Well, I don't know if it's a website, but I follow on Twitter and on Instagram, um, cinema palettes Mm -hmm. and they choose an image from a movie and then show the color palette of it right underneath. And it's really helped me to start looking at, you know, movies and TV. I'm always interested in color and, you know, all that, already but like I, now i feel like i look at it even more notice it even more like especially like uh, i just saw guardians of the galaxy mm-hmm. volume two and i mean there's a riot of color in that movie but you could just stop at any frame and sort of see what all different colors are in it so yeah i i recommend following cinema palettes it's at cinema palettes just all you know all the letters all rolled together just to kind of see you know how many different colors how many different shades of blue and black and everything and gray and white that we see here in this this minute yeah i I love that stuff too i'm definitely a fan of of just the the study of color in movies and i I do i do love the stuff that those guys do and i can also throw in the uh, fandor does something similar with i think they have a series of videos where they break down the color palettes of movies and the other one that I love that's not exactly the same thing, but kind of similar. Have you ever seen the movie Barcodes? No. Oh, I love, love those. These have been uh, a lot of my computer backgrounds over the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> basically, what they do, somebody invented this algorithm or uh, computer program or whatever that it takes an entire movie and compresses each frame to be just a, a vertical sliver. And then they put mm-hmm. all those up against each other. So it's basically just... All the it's kind of all the colors of the movie because when you compress the frame to a size that that thin just to this kind of hair razor hair thin um, you know line that's all you really see is the color of it and then they stack those next to each other so it's this is kind of barcode of the color of the movie and it's really interesting because in a lot of cases uh, you can really see the progression of the movie um, I, I used to have uh, the Mad Max Fury Road one as one of my backdrops and you could really see like you know, the oranges and the, and the deep blues and the, and that mm. kind of thing as the movie goes on. It's, it's really pretty interesting. And I think, um, I think this movie is all this movie, the color palette is really so much, uh, it's black and white and, and this dark blue 
and obviously there's a there's a good bit of orange and red uh, from fire and from the you know gory effects and things like that as well. But it's mostly a very kind of bleak and you know there are some shots that you could almost mistake for black and white except for the the black and white with a blue tinting like you know how they used to do with the with some old movies where it'd be you know it's not a color film but they would tint the entire thing uh, right. one color. It almost looks like that in, in a couple couple cases, but. Yeah, I think the the color in this movie is particularly well done when you think about the fact that this is way before the age of color grading where, you know, now every movie goes through a process of color correction. And that was not something that was done until pretty recently. Actually, I want to say it was um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was the first movie that really made that a process for the entire movie. Right. Yeah, I, I, my husband and I um, now, when, when we watch movies, I feel like, you know, one of us at a certain point in a lot of movies will be like, man, they really orange and peeled this one up big time, <laughs> you know, and it's just you watch it. It's almost all orange and teal. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I think um, that's, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and, you know, stuff like that where you just realize how. It, so that's another Thing that makes some something like these older movies really special when they aren't tweaked. I mean, there's some there's art to tweaking the color and there's art to using the natural, you know, just like natural lighting and all that other stuff. You know, there's just beauty to be had and everything. And then sometimes it's just almost distractingly messed with. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I, I'd certainly have an appreciation for the people that do color grading and they do some really, when it's done well, it's, it's, you know, can add a, a whole new element to a movie and really change the the feeling of it. But it's especially impressive to watch a movie like this, where, you know, that that was all done, that, you know, there is kind of a, a sense of a palette and, and a, you know, a real careful use of color, but it's all done on set with actual lights. But I think we mentioned maybe last week that, you know, this whole outside that's all blue, that's all from the lights that are actually, you know, being shot. That's not from some kind of some lights that are off camera or um, or, you know, it's not done in post-production there. There's uh, lights that Dean Cundy got from uh, airport. They're ones that would line a runway normally. And he, mm. he was able to find those because he wanted this really deep blue mm. kind of to soak the uh, exterior of the camp. So, you know, finding a way to practically and make it make sense within the context of the movie too is, is really interesting to, uh, to be able to put that together. It's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. I need flares, a parka, kerosene, dog food. Wow. Who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive and I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now, if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. We, we do have we have a little bit of a classic horror movie trope uh, in this minute that I, I didn't notice until watching it this closely that... You know, as uh, as Matt goes to investigate, see what was going on in the helicopter, why Blair ran out of there with an axe. Uh, there's a flashlight that just happens to be sitting there on the edge of the helicopter, which is uh, <laughs> certainly convenient. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of funny, um, especially given that, you know, he's carrying all this flammable stuff. And, you know, I think he, you almost feel like he might have a torch or something like that. But, yeah, there's this flashlight just sitting very handily right right next to where he needs to go. <laughs> So this is when he goes into the inside the the helicopter. Yeah, 
Yeah, so okay. he, yeah, so he just walks right up to it and and right on the edge of it before he even pulls back the the tarp or anything. There just happens to be a flashlight sitting right oh, I there. I see, I see. Okay, I see that. You know, what I was noticing was just seconds before that, as uh-huh. he's walking up, that the the billowing tarp, you know, looks like it's breathing. Yeah, that's a great point. And so I was kind of yeah, I didn't even notice that. Now I'm noticing because I was just kind of watching that blue it's almost like a huge heart in a way you know if it was just a blue heart sort of breathing and and billowing and then he walks up to it so yeah you're absolutely right i never really thought about it in that context but it definitely gives a sense that it's almost alive in some way like you know if this was a cronenberg movie if this was video drum or something like that you definitely get a somebody breathing under that (laughs) right well and two we don't know i mean just because somebody ran Someone ran out of that thing with an, an axe. Mm-hmm. So somebody could very well be in it, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, so so you're saying it's the this trope of like, oh, isn't this convenient? This this <laughs> um, flashlight happens to be sitting right here. And the flashlight and, doesn't work right away either, that he's got to bang on it to get it to come on. Right. Too. It's like, all right. <laughs> That's uh that that feel like that that's a trope that probably would fit in with uh, I can't remember if it's in Cabin in the Woods but it feels like it might be one of the rules in that movie <laughs> at some point. Right, right. <laughs> that's funny. Sure. But yeah, so then we before he uh, enters it, we get a cut that takes us to the inside of the uh, the helicopter before McCready gets inside, and we start to hear kind of the the electrical buzzing and and some odd sounds. It almost sounds like some kind of dripping or something that's going on inside. And then obviously uh, McCready takes a look and sees that. The, the interior of the helicopter has been totally trashed uh, by, by Blair. He's, he's wrecked the helicopter. Presumably, it's not functional anymore based on what we see. <laughs> right, right. I thought it was interesting looking at it. It doesn't look like damage that was caused by an axe at all. Like, yeah. You, you'd expect there to be kind of like big gaping holes and stuff. It almost, to me, looks like he he just started taking it apart, like all the all the dials and buttons and things look like they've just been removed and all the wires hanging out, which at first looking at it, I was like, oh, well, that seems kind of silly. Like, obviously, he didn't do this with the axe. But the more I was thinking about it, it it might tie in with, uh, you know, what we know Blair is doing towards the end of this movie, what he's building, that maybe he was taking things apart and stealing parts for uh, for what he's making later on in his secret little cave. (laughs) Right. And also the axe could just be his self-defense. Yeah. That's true. And it reminded me when he's running with that axe, I didn't really notice until just watching it again here, but that kind of reminded me of The Shining, you know, just this dark, creepy snow zone with somebody running with an axe just looked, he just looks extra creepy running in the snow with that axe. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's funny. I've never heard John Carpenter mention The Shining in particular, but it seems like that movie also had to play a pretty big role in, in, some of the themes in this movie. I believe The Shining came out just a year before this, so it would have come out while they were filming. And so, yeah, the axe, the the ever-present axe is maybe maybe a little bit of a nod to that. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that <laughs> shot in particular, Blair running, running uh, across the snow with it, definitely uh, recalls The Shining a bit. I did want to mention, speaking of that part, that uh, that is not Wilford Brimley running through the snow there with the axe. Mm. Um, it's actually Dick Warlock making... Uh, who who is one of the uh, main stunt coordinators for the movie, 
making, I think, his fourth or fifth cameo in the movie. We've been kind of keeping track of them as we go. So, um, yeah, he's he shown up at least three or four times uh, before this point, and he'll show up again in a, in a few places. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, by the time they started filming some of these exteriors, Wilford Brimley was not available. So they just, you know, had uh, had Dick Warlock bundle up in, in uh, Wilford Brimley's clothes and, and do some of these outside actions for him. <laughs> gotcha. So when we're on Warlock watch, this is one of the <laughs> one of the moments he shows up. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Yeah. The, the Warlock watch. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it is entertaining that he shows up about as much as any of the other actors do in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I had a whole lot else for this minute. Um, anything else that you noticed that you wanted to, uh, to mention? I don't think so. I think just watching this minute by minute is getting me excited about recording the Cabin in the Woods minute. We're we're actually getting ready to record just in about two weeks. Um, and so it just, it's just fun again. To, I took, took a little break after Spinal Tap Minute and now getting to come back in and sort of I we did a, um, a, a minute with uh, the Mad Max minute and that was really fun and then doing this again so it just is getting me hyped up to to do cabin in the woods and um you know get the website up and all that stuff and just kind of get into it so yeah it's just it's fun to do this and then i'm excited to do my own too and have y'all in yeah, that would be awesome. That's a I'm I'm kind of shocked that uh, nobody's grabbed that movie up because it is begging for like it, it, like, you know, excruciatingly close analysis with, you know, all the different creatures and references and things like that. That's a movie that uh that certainly will be easy to um to have things to talk about for every minute. I think you'll be uh you'll be hard pressed to keep it under an hour for some of those episodes. <laughs> I know, I know, I totally agree. And as you can tell, I have no problem kind of talking and talking quite a bit for, you know, just about one minute because I feel like I can watch a minute a bunch of times and then as I'm sitting here talking with you and looking again, somehow I start to see new things, you know, right while we're recording. I think yeah. that's one of my favorite parts of the whole process is just being in it with you and experiencing it together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really fun thing to do. I, I, um, you know, I, I can't, uh, recommend it highly enough to, um, to listeners who are, you know, if you're thinking about starting your own, you know, I've mentioned before that it's a, I was a little worried when I started that I would be sick of the movie by the time I, you know, got through the podcast and, you know, obviously I'm not through yet, but up to this point, you know, I'm, 52 minutes into the movie and and still I love it more than ever just because it's you know it's given me the opportunity to really dissect it and and learn so much more about it and and talk about it with a lot of people that I wouldn't get to uh chat about it with in in you know without it so it's um it's definitely you know made me appreciate the movie more and and I have a lot of fond memories about the movie just with uh you know things I've talked about with everybody too so uh yeah it's a it's a fun thing to do it's I'm, I'm really glad I started doing it too yeah me too So I think that'll wrap up uh, Minute 52. Listeners, don't forget that you can always check us out on Facebook and Twitter at The Thing Minute. So you can join in the conversation there and, you know, share your theories and and thoughts and, you know, anything that we might have missed. You can definitely bring that up there and and get the conversation started. Uh, But as you do that, just don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. 
But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.